James 2, verses 14 through 26. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man, excuse me, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and desiring of daily food, destitute, uh, excuse me, and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath works, is dead. Be, if it hath not works, excuse me, is dead, being, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Is dead also. Excuse me. God's word. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to worship at your uh, throne room. I pray that you would uh, bring forth um, uh, your message through me this day. Um, in this Sunday school class, I pray that you would guide our discussion. Humble us before you, and help prepare our hearts before you. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Um, Chris and Stephanie, you guys probably don't have the course outline. I'll get that to you before the end of the day, but we are behind on the course outline. Because, yeah, that's to <laughs> totally fine. Uh, we spent two weeks in Chapter 6. I'm going to do a little bit of wrapping up of Chapter 6 today and we're also going to get into chapter seven which has the faith and works discussion today today is july 9th but there will be no memory test this week which is good because i didn't do a very good job announcing it so next week we'll be uh be prepared for a memory test on james three three through five it's a good one they're all good ones um, so, brief review of what we've been going over in chapter uh, 6. We've been um, talking about currying favor and cultivating faithfulness, and I think there's some comments um, that I still have remaining on this that I'd like to go over. Um, let's see, going forward. Um, so, what does it... Uh, this, this comment is... Uh, well, what does it mean to love God? And I put that it, remain, it means remaining faithfully obedient um, to his commands. And I have a note here 
even in suffering and trials. And I got a paragraph to read from uh, page 134. In short, for James, being loved by God means that we will inevitably be drawn into suffering and trials, so that through our joyful obedience, by our holding to the pattern of Jesus' life, we will be shaped and matured into our place in God's design, made into someone able to fully participate in God's story for mankind and the world. The definition of love should remind us of the words of the writer of Hebrews, who exhorts his readers to embrace God's discipline and suffering in their lives, reminding them that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Any comments on that? Anybody? Any thoughts? Mm. Right. Right. And uh, one of the things, one of the things Jeff leans on in this book is we don't, we don't seek to escape. I'll, I'll get to this in another slide, but we don't seek to escape our sufferings through political means, through, as he calls it, playing political footsies. Um, what, what, he, what he is suggesting in the book is that there, there would have been those who were powerful and the early Jewish church could have see, sought to um, gain influence through them to ease their sufferings. But that's not the, the mission. That's not how we execute the mission, as we'll see. Oh, in Deuteronomy, God talks about the fact that they don't have as much of a problem loving him by obedience to his trial as they do loving him by obedience to his prosperity. Mm. Yeah, it's it's easy in those it's easy in those moments of great conquest, of great victory, to lift up our voices and praise God. But it's it's hard when we're standing at the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army uh, coming on. Um, so, moving on to, a, to dishonoring the poor man, and, and Jeff talks about this as a parable, the parable of the poor man, and he tells the, he tells the early church that you have mistreated the poor man, um, and he's talking about Jesus, and I, I related this to Isaiah 53, um, where, where Jesus is the, uh, portrayed as the poor man, um, and so we're... One of the things that Jeff says, we're dishonoring Christ by neglecting the poor. I think of in Matthew when Jesus says, um, whatsoever you do to the least of these, you also do 
to me. So the measure of how the measure of how we treat the poor amongst us is, I guess, the better way to say it is how we treat the poor amongst us is how we're is how we're uh, living our faith in Jesus. It's uh, something that can be seen. It's something that's tangible. Thanks, Chris. Um, that's de that's definitely helpful. Is uh, I actually have that in some of the later commentary of today's lesson. You know, but no, 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 no. Uh, you're not stealing my thunder. You're actually helping uh, make a. You're you actually help make the point. Um, it's definitely something we're going to be talking about a little more later. But it's a very good point. The early church and their care for the poor is um, one of the chief, I would say, battle maneuvers. For um for how where to take ground. Um, let's see. I have this paragraph on one thirty six that I highlighted. Once again, we see that the love for Jesus is demonstrated not only in internal affection, but also in the practical and concrete way as Christian communities treat the poor and needy in our midst and in our communities. James calls the people of God to imitate God in their treatment of others. Um, that goes along with your Garden of Eden illustration right there. Um, to be mature, as he is mature, not only in their submission to suffering and discipline, but also in their love and service for all humanity. So, um, and that's actually going to resonate when we get into the, uh, a little bit of this faith and works discussion today. Um, one of the things we're going to be talking about, and I could probably skip ahead a couple of slides and get there. One of the things we're going to be talking talking about is how faith lived lived out does have actions. There is there is something that we're going to do if we truly have faith. Any? You, you just seem to be thinking very hard. <laughs> um couple more comments in this political footsies idea um, the temptation of the early church um, according to Jeff anybody you want to answer that Right. 
Right, and and I think I think we have a temptation on this on either side of the, if you will, political aisle. Um, you know, even us conservative Christians, we think, oh, if we just get the right guy in, you know, that then everything will be great. And if they can just make the light, right laws and uh, write the right, you know, rulings, then everything will be great. I like good rulings, but oftentimes I, oftentimes I think we forget that the right and left are part of the same machine. Um, and what, what we don't want is right or left. We want godly rule. Um, and that's, that's going to go in line with this, uh, paragraph, well, this, this section I have highlighted here. When Christians seek to ingratiate themselves with their enemies, hoping to gain influence and power, it is not merely an offense against our democratic sensibilities, but rather a radical betrayal of our allegiance to the one who claims to be the Lord of all things. One of the crazy things in our highly uh, politicized uh, culture right now is how people seek to ingratiate themselves with the world and with worldly influence over ingratiating themselves to who is truly king. Um, if I can digress a little bit, I have a friend who is a Christian. She works in the public school system, which is fine for her. But she wants to debate with me often about how, you know, why I should put my kids into public school. And th this to me is crazy because I've thought about this and I was like, if I wanted to answer this person, if they were to ask me, why won't I put my kids in public schools? I would say, because Jesus is king and he reigns all areas of our life. And if he does that, how can I put a, my child in a school where secularism is the um, overarching worldview? If Jesus is king, there's no room for that in my worldview. A big problem we have is we don't look at politics as an extension of the Great Commission. Mm. Right, right, Stephanie. I think I think um, to just kind of piggyback on that point. I th I think part of, or I should say, the part of the attitude that I see is that people think pe people want to compartmentalize their faith. Yuri Brito, when he was here, called it uh, privatizing of faith. But we we want to say uh, Jesus is King, uh, but that's not for everybody. It's only if you believe. It's only in my church. This is where it belongs. I certainly, it's, I, I've heard from other Christians, it's inappropriate in the workplace. 
it's inappropriate in schools, it's inappropriate in public. I even heard, I heard um, somebody who was denouncing the faith saying religion doesn't belong in music. And I just thought that is, that is opposite without, without uh, religion, we don't have music. At least that's the way I see it. People treat religion like it's part of the principle of private property. Mm. Of it's yours, and we keep it over there because if it comes into the public, it it gets in the way of other people's private rights. Mm. When actually, private property is a principle of religion. Mm-hmm. That, that's correct. Music is a principle of religion, not religion a principle of music. Yeah, there are outworkings of religion. A lot of the wonderful things that we experience in our modern day culture are outworkings of our religious faith and the i think the big mistake that we make is that we don't realize it often you had another comment one other possible response uh, not the only one but another suitable one that can be useful sometimes a person says religion doesn't belong in music doesn't govern music okay Right. The big problem with fighting is apathy and ignorance. And the church just says, oh, I guess it doesn't go right. Right. I think, a lot of, I think a lot of times, a lot of the, what I see is I see a lot of people wanting to argue and wanting to win the argument, but they actually don't know um, from what source they're arguing as far as Christians go. One of the things I like about Doug Wilson, and, uh, and it's very much in the is very much along the teachings of uh, Van Til and Rush Juni and Greg Bonson is the by, by what standard he likes to say that. And it's, a, it's actually a pretty solid question. I, I'd like to postulate that we, we could also say um, as far as questions for greater epistemological uh, self-awareness is to what end, you know, I want to put my child in child in public school. To what end? What is your goal? Yeah. 
Hmm. Did those kids sign up for that mission? But my 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 retort was, why would you send a soldier to war without sending him to boot camp and learning to shoot first? Uh -huh. hmm. You know, so. But he but he he can you know he'll his kids get shot at night on Sundays. So. Yeah, well, we often we often think. Um, that it's okay to hand our, our children over to the public school for six hours or eight hours a day. And that's okay because for two hours, you know, they'll be home with us, we'll do chores, we'll do dinner, we'll watch TV, and we'll go to church on Sunday. I don't understand the logic there. And it's Yeah. Well, in, in a lot of the good music, like if you look at, if, if you look at even some of the good rock bands out there, um, the ones, the ones who can really send a deep message, uh, they often talk about Christ and things like that, even in there's lots of uh, religious imagery. Um, I'm going to move forward a bit because we, I was actually hoping to get to the faith and works discussion today and we're falling behind. Um, I do want to make this point, though, real quick. Um, th this I actually got from the Theopolis podcast, and it was Jeff Myers in a panel talking about this. And they were talking about this idea of the royal law and um, the law of liberty and how God sees the law. And this, this um, is pointing to that uh, verse where he says, if you, if you abstain from adultery but you murder you've still broken the whole law god's law is univocal um and he sees it as one law he sees the bible in this way um and that's that's he sees the bible this way and he sees his law this way that's why the first commandment is thou shalt love thy god with all thy heart that's the first table of the ten commandments and the second table of the Ten Commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. And as I made the point last week, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you're not loving God. We often think we can. We can't. Moving on to today's lesson. James 2, 14 through 26. I just have some comments to start. Faith and works is a topic that we, would that we could discuss at length with our modern Protestant understanding. But the faith and works debate is not what the epistle is directly addressing. If we view the verses contextually, we can see that this is part of the broader, broader discussion in the epistle of James, guiding the tongue, true religion, and how Jesus views things. Professions of faith without faithful actions are useless. We, we're not only to read and meditate on Scripture, but as Psalm 1 shows, blessing is in the way that the righteous walk. It's a life lived. We are to, and these are all active comments, bridle our tongues, visit orphans and widows in distress. 
the opening statement of James uh, uh, 2.14, that whole section, is very poignant. What good does it do? Jeff talks about parables in James. We've had the parable of the poor man, which represents Jesus. Now we have the poor person in need, and we send them away with thoughts and prayers. And that, um, that's the modern vernacular, this go and be filled. It just reminds me of thoughts and prayers. A little bit of a story here. Um, I saw somebody on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and they said, I'm... And it just really struck me as about this. They said, I'm feeling sick. I don't know what to do. I've been to the doctors on and off. And I was just like, oh, that's terrible. I'll pray for you. And then I saw below, a few minutes later, Mrs. Clark commented. And she said, can I bring you something to eat? And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, she, she's got it. Um, and, and another thing about the thoughts and prayers is oftentimes we say, I'll pray for you, but do we actually get down on our knees and pray? Something that, something I've been thinking about lately. If I'm going to say I'm going to do it, I better do it. You had something you want to say? Yeah, that's one thing about the, uh, the pro-life movement um, is great with we were saving babies. Mm -hmm. And it's changing now. Um, and we got that we had the, the overturn of Roe v. Wade, um, which is a, a blessing of God. Um, but the thing is, we weren't saving the mothers. Um, and there's this shift in not only just pouring resources into pro-life saving babies, but pouring more resources in caring for the mothers. Um, like options, not only do they have counseling for the mothers, but they also have counseling for the fathers as well. Hmm. They, have, they have programs for the whole family. It doesn't just stop at okay. I'm, I'm got my ultrasound, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill this baby. Um. So that's you know that's an example of what we need to do better as a church. Right. That's that's a very good point, and it's one thing. It's it's funny that the the way the world makes out the pro life movement because they're like, like the the argue, the slogan you always hear is Republicans only care about babies when they're in the womb. Well, that's obviously ridiculous. Um, if any anybody who's grown up in the environment that we've grown up in, you know, working with options for women, um, even back when it was called the crisis, uh, the Seacoast Crisis Pregnancy Center, um, we know that there's there's been an active. Uh, they play an active role in making sure those mothers have the needs that they, they have fulfilled, making sure that those babies can be taken care of after, uh, after birth. Um, quick question. And, uh, and this is what I was talking about. We already hit on this and we're um, going to get into this discussion right now. Um, how might this have manifested itself in the context of James and the early church? This go and be filled. Um, 
this is going to be along the answering of the same question. One of the key tactical maneuvers of the Christian faith would have strongly manifested itself during this time in history. Due to the persecution of the early church, there would have been many displaced, there would have been many orphans and widows, there would have been many in need. This was a great opportunity for the church to live its faith. We don't like the suffering, but we do see the opportunity. Helping widows, helping orphans, and helping the poor displaced. Oh, let's see, I put it there. <laughs> You know, Rome being the state being God, essentially. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there a leader? I can't remember who it was, but I think he told me a, a leader either of, I don't think it was an emperor, but of Rome or of the religion in Rome, realizing they needed more public welfare programs because the Christians were taking everybody and there wasn't anyone to worship the state anymore. Mm. Um, I don't recall specifically, but it would it would fit them. But they're, they're basically like, shoot, we gotta we gotta come up with some public program. Well, during <laughs> during outbreaks of plague, um, the wealthy would leave the city, and you would just have bodies in the street, and it was the Christians that would go in and minister to the sick. You know, um, the, the first hospitals were set up catacombs. You know, when when Christianity was recognized, and they came above ground. Mm. But uh, I think it was um, um, Constantine's was it, mother was Helena. Helena, the first public, the, the first thing that she built was a hospital that could serve five thousand people in Constantinople uh, mm. before the Hag Hagia Sophia, uh, the, the first Hagia Sophia, not, not the one we know today. But, um, so they built them at the same time. You had a hospital to serve the sick, and then you had a place of worship. Mm -hmm. um, and she built hospitals and, and churches all over the uh, Eastern Empire at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of segues into this uh, segues into this very last point that I put, um, and this was just a thought I had on all of this: is this is the problem with our modern attitude towards systematically helping the poor through government assistance. It is a go and be filled, and it perpetuates the problem. Anybody who's, as a factory worker, as a supervisor there, one of the things that's happened anytime we've had any kind of furlough or anything like that is I've had to help a lot of workers get onto uh, the government assistance program um, because they, they're technically laid off for a short amount of time. Um, so I'd have to, I'd have to help them. Uh, get all their paperwork and get all their stuff filed through. And if you've ever dealt with these government um, tyrannical systems, these bureaucracies, they don't care. They don't care about the people who are coming. It is a go and be filled. It's um, sad that we think that we need these programs. And part of that is um, it's something the church needs to get on their knees with fear and trembling because because we have not done our job and that's why it's being given over to caesar um during a period of unemployment several years ago the state of maine told me that if i volunteered at least 30 hours 
really give me any subsidy I wanted. Hmm. Food stamps, heat assistance, uh, rent assistance. Uh, you know, so I was like, oh, so I worked for you and you pay me. So. Hmm. Um, I think I'm going to. Did I click that right? Now? It's kind of a good scam because you didn't. They didn't have to pay your your Medicaid and Medicare and Social Security taxes and all that sort of thing to the federal government because you're classified as a volunteer. Okay. This okay. So the so this is a this is my question now, and this is a question I'll leave us with. Um, do we have similar opportunities today? Do we have similar opportunities to help the poor, help the needy, help the widows, help the uh, those who have been displaced? We should certainly be watching be watching for it with all these things that are going to be happening in our our country over the next I don't know decade or so. I think I think there's a period where we're we're going to see that the church is going to have many great opportunities to serve. One thing that does make it difficult is the poor now have a choice between state assistance and biblical assistance. Hmm. And so in a lot of cases if you want to help someone and they're poor because of perpetuating some problems in their own lives, they're not going to go to the person who expects them to grow. Mm. And so it makes it difficult to be the one helping when, like, even just even just within church circles, people can bounce from church, from church to church depending on what aid they can get out of it. So it can be very difficult. Like, the, the go and be filled thing it always gets under my skin seeing the panhandlers out there in the street because I don't want to be the the one who looks the other way and says, well, I just don't have time to vet this person right now. But at the same time, you don't want to perpetuate their problems either. Mm. We're, we're definitely in a unique time. Um, and James James Jordan pointed out that it's, it's due to uh, a lot of the common grace that we have in society. It's much, it's much more difficult for us to minister. And he said, he postulated that what the modern day United States of America needs is, um, is, is not, is not, you know, the, the guilt and, and all that, that, you know, and because people don't feel that, but they need community. And one of the things I like about uh, here at Tri-City is we provide that. We certainly do, and we provide it to many at the schools. Um, and I think Christian schooling and the rise of Christian schooling is one of the key components, uh, one of the key answers to that final question there. And with that, um, if there are no further comments, I'd like to close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this your work in the Epistle of James, and I also thank you for Jeff Meyer's work on this. I thank you for the opportunity to teach this class, and I pray that you would uh, be with us as we go into covenant renewal service. Help us to reach out to those in need. Bring many to us who are in need so that we may serve them. And pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.